Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, have you been reading our emails? No, I haven't. Why is that? Because I haven't written them yet. <laughs> well, anyone who's listening to this, if you're sitting there going, Charlie, I want you to write emails, I know how to get him to do it. Head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. I will make it my job to keep telling Charlie how many new subscribers keep rolling in because there's actually quite a few uh, because then it will incentivize him to actually start writing more emails or emails full stop, I should say. So, yes, that's what I'm going to say. Charlie, you've just been shouted out. Appreciate it. Let's do the episode. (laughs) Let's cue this glamour. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant, I do appreciate your creativity on the intros we do on this podcast for getting people on the newsletter. And it reminds me of like the YouTubers that do it to get people to hit the like button. And I must admit, whenever I watch a YouTube video and there's a really creative way they've managed to frame up and get people in to click the like button, I do click it because I'm like impressed with the creativity. Just, just Every time I say to the wife that I'm going to go and do a podcast, she's like, welcome to my channel. <laughs> I'm like, I hate you. That's terrible. <laughs> I like she just like sticks it into each other. Do you hit the like button if they're creative? Because if they just do a generic one, oh, please make sure you hit the like button and subscribe. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. You haven't put in any effort. So I'm, I'm that guy. I have never, not once in my life, pushed the like button on a YouTube video. Outrageous. <laughs> I like genuinely. I'm subscribed. I've saved videos and stuff. No wonder our like count is so low on this podcast. <laughs> I might have done it under like our brand. But not oh, no, you're that guy who likes your own videos. Oh, it's even worse. You've got to wait until it gets to like 10 and then like it. And then it's like it kind of gets hidden in all the these people have liked it. Anyway, today's episode, we're going to be talking about paying down debt versus investing more aggressively. Now, we got a, a great question come in via email. So just as a hint, if there are questions you would like us to cover on this show, please make sure you do jump on the email list or email charlie at propertyinvesting.com. That's it, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. Awesome. So that's how you can do it. Um, or even leave a comment on the YouTube video. We'll make sure we'll get come it. and collect there. Though. We'll find them. We'll find them. Now, this question came in because of uh, someone had heard a backstory of mine about my own property investing journey. So for anyone that, I I suppose I'll just bring everyone up to speed on this one here. What actually happened for me is I purchased a PPR when I was about 22. So I bought a house to live in when I was 22. And by the time I was 30, I'd actually paid that house off. I didn't do any investing. I was very focused on my career and uh, how to earn more that that got my full attention. And eventually we hit the point where by my 30th birthday, um, we paid off the home. And I had a massive oh shit moment of going, well, what do I do now? Because I hadn't invested any time or really put any awareness into the world of investing in property or any other asset class at all. And that was the start of my property investing journey. So someone has come in and they've sent the question is like, well, would you have done the same thing again? 
because of what's played out. And they've quoted things like, you know, interest rates are going up now and they're considering, well, should I pay down debt or should I go more aggressively here? So I think it's a really, really interesting question. Now, there's what I did, so clearly I can't take that back. What I did is buy a house to live in and paid it off. Would I do that again? Not so much. Really? So if, is that only because in hindsight you go, oh, yeah, property prices have increased and that would have been a better one? Or is that more from a philosophical perspective of going, ir- irrespective of what happened over the last 10-odd years since you bought it, it was just a better approach in your mind? All right, so I want to share one point here. Nothing feels like sleeping in a home you own outright. I kid okay. you not, the day I paid off that house and I slept in my bed that night, it felt different. Interesting. So there is absolutely something emotionally within us of owning the home and not having debt over it that is special and has its own unique value, which I want to come back and talk about later because I think for a lot of people it might actually be the right thing. However, the thing that I'll go with irritates me a little bit is if instead of putting extra money on that mortgage, I would have acquired a couple of properties along the way. So not even being aggressive, but just acquired a couple of extra properties along the way, my net worth today would be substantially higher than it is. So that's the trade-off we're looking at here. So there's the emotional side of like, damn, it is good sleeping in a paid-off home. If you don't believe me, try it. Who would do that? Well, being rich doesn't make you happy, but everyone's always willing to try. <laughs> yes, and uh, we'll come back to that one as well. <laughs> totally. so, so be, uh, becoming financially independent, uh, it's not that the money does make you happier, but I am actually happier. It's like ticking that off the list. So it's kind of the same thing here as like, you know, once I became financially independent, it's not that the money made me happy, but it's like achieving that enabled something which allowed happiness to exist in a different yeah. way for me. Like I am actually a happier person since doing that. Um, But money doesn't buy happiness directly as it would. Anyway, coming back to that, um, keeping this in check here, if I had my time again, I would have, knowing what I know now, gone about this differently. I would have much rather paid my home off by 35, which I still could have done, and then had assets compounding against it. It would have been a better overall game plan. So that's what I would do today in a nutshell. Now, why is the opportunity cost? It really is. When you look at the ability to get assets compounding for you, it just makes all the difference. Where if you have one home, even though it's the place you live in, that's not going to be the thing that enables you to be financially independent. It's the assets you build outside of your principal place of residence that ultimately provide the ability to be financially independent. And then you you will throw on the argument of going, but Charlie, it's tax-free capital growth that sits in your permanent place of residency. Like you are investing in property though. We're going to go to that argument. I know many people will say that, you know, your home is an asset or it's not an asset because it doesn't produce an income or you get tax-free growth on your PPR. So maybe you make it a part of your strategy versus, um, you know, if you rent, well, rents will go up over time and be more expensive than the mortgage. Like there's a ton of layers that come into this. There, there really is. Now, even if I had gone back in time and bought other properties, I still get that tax-free growth, right? So that kind of is a, a null point on this one because as long as you own the home, whether it has a mortgage or not, 
doesn't distinguish the amount of growth that will come from it. Yeah. But uh, my finding after it, and this is where my thinking was just cooked at the time, is 22-year-old Charlie built this idea and belief that if I just have a paid-off house, I'll be safe. I'll be okay. Like, you know, like it was really not from the right place. It was a fear and scarcity thing where I wanted that house paid off where I wasn't thinking bigger. Now, that thinking is actually the thing that stopped me investing to a degree as well because it was just going to create more debt, which I hadn't yet developed the knowledge around debt and had fear on. And then it was eventually getting to the point, and it only happened after I'd paid off the home, is the realisation that if my inc- even if I've got a paid-off home, right, which is a fantastic place to be in, if I, for whatever reason, can't work, how am I going to provide for this family? Yeah. Right, and that's where my view has really, really shifted here. So the objective of the paid home was actually security, and the way I was looking to get that was through a paid-off PPR. But if you really do want financial security, a paid-off PPR won't achieve that. So it's the wrong solution for that goal. So that's why my views have changed here, where I think it's really important to build out assets outside the PPR. In fact, I think essential. So I've been on this journey, and even I reckon the question of because we're so if anyone doesn't know, uh, myself and my wife Hazel, we we rent best. So we just rent wherever we want. Like we've lived on the beach in uh, Gold Coast. We've lived in Noosa. We're now down in Melbourne. Like we just travel around, live where we want to live and just do it by renting because the places that we rent in are way too expensive to justify a good purchase. <laughs> yeah, well, can way. hold you back from investing in a big way. You okay. drop three mil on a house, your ability to invest outside your house significantly reduced. Totally. And so for me putting this across the top, so we do not currently have a principal place of residence. However, we do have quite a bit of investment properties and we're looking at going what is going to be the next best thing for us? Because there are a lot of benefits where, hey, if you do have your principal place of of residency, you do get that tax-free growth. Uh, We, as we're investors, actually get to look at going, maybe we buy in a suburb we don't ideally want to live in to go and get that. And we recently just landed on the point of going, I don't want to sacrifice the now for the future and just said the better approach is just to continue reinvesting until we hit like the goal of what we want to do, which is the next milestone in our property portfolio. And then we're just going to look back and say, maybe this is the right time for us to buy our, our PPR. And the question that I've got for you is, let's rewind all the way back to 2021-year-old Charlie. Would you- Wait, wait, even- rewind to 2021-year-old Charlie. Oh, it sounds like the year. So let's just rewind to when I was 21. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about 2022. And I was trying to minus one off on the fly. So 21-year-old Charlie. Would you even buy a PPR or just go rent investing? Yeah, so mathematically rent vesting makes sense. Now, the reason I probably still would go back and do it is like, and this is luck, right, because this doesn't happen to people. The place we bought, right, which I have to share this, I literally bought this place because it had a good garage. It's an amazing garage. I won't lie. It's, it's a fantastic garage. It's a really good garage. I liked the uh, dynamics of the property because it had a uh, really good garage, as I've said about 10 times now, <laughs> but then a massive front yard for parking and like just a really good block of land. There's a lot of things going for it. Mind you, I didn't do any area research. I didn't do uh, anything else that would go into buying an investment property. Just turns out, however, that that's a highly desirable suburb with a premium school zone that people really like. So by, and this is luck and not something that I could have re- even known at the time. 
that asset has gone up immensely in value. Like it's done really well. It's experienced a lot of growth and um, it's nearly tripled since I bought it. Yeah. So uh, when you look at that as a footstone of what's enabled me to do more things is like that definitely played a factor. I'm not going to deny it. So for me, would I go back and buy the PPR? Questionably, it was a good decision. Even if I rented it out and treated it as an investment oh. property, it would have been fantastic to do that. Um, I needed the security at that point in my life. I won't lie. So for me to feel safe and uh, all the things that come with it, yes, I would have done it. However, mathematically, terrible idea. If I'd have just focused on investment properties with a relative LVR, so let's say I kept my LVR at like I never went above 70%, so really conservative in the property world. Today, that portfolio would be able to support paying an expensive mortgage. Yeah. So you just got to be when you capitalize into that, which I think is an interesting idea. You like coming back to the concept of like paying down debt versus like continually investing more aggressively. You hit on like this point that I just talked to so many people around, which is like the sleep at night factor (laughs) or like where is your comfort spot? And so to the question that I asked you around, like would you even buy a PPI if you had your time again? That was kind of where Haz and I were, which was do we need that security of knowing that, hey, this is our place? And it, to be honest with you, it's not like a flat decision. It's every three months, the opinion changes. <laughs> and when and if Hazel gets pregnant at some point, I'm sure the opinion will change again. And it's and I think that it's not just a set and forget. It is a, as you go through the seasons of life, you will feel different about what you want for security in order to make or not make the decision of buying an actual PPR. And then if you do have a PPR walking through this, like in my mind, I'm like, cool, if I had a PPR, would I continue to pay it down or would I look to continue to invest? The first thing I'm going to look at is my personal sleep at night factor at that point. And this is this is so different for so many different people, right? Like how many people have we seen that have got 95% loan to value ratios on their property investment portfolios that I would freak about? I'll be like, I wouldn't be sleeping. I'll be like, eyes wide open going, how can I earn some more money to pay down this debt? But then other people that just don't have any debt. And I'm like, that's so risk off completely. And it's just more like horses for courses where I, yeah, I'm not that risk aggressive of going, hey, just light it up to the tilt and just go ham on buying so many investment properties. But to the point where I would go and reassess and say, if I'm sitting at, to your point, like 70%, Maybe I would reassess personally, again, not financial advice, that I'd go again as opposed to maybe I just want to keep paying stuff down. I would go as far to say as this is the most important factor is the sleep at night factor. Totally. I know some investors right now, and it's funny, it's like uh, our uh, – actually, I won't name this person just because they may not want this being shared, but um, someone uh, who we know who is semi-associated with the show, put it there, happily buys things on 90% with LMI while interest rates are going up and is having a great time and sleeps very well. How? I, I don't think a vampire or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, they've got a really good long-term fundamental belief that it's a great idea. No, I get you. I get you. And then I know other people where it's like they've got like conservative, like they make me look risky. Yeah, and I've I- just said that I paid a house off before investing, right? But it's like, <laughs> And for them, it's like the interest rate goes up 0.25 and it's like, man, they're stressing about it. Totally. So that's why this is such an individualized thing is like 
very uh, different situations and very different outcomes. You could be someone with a huge amount of debt, sleep really well at night or not, and that's you. Like you are the factor in that. I think for anyone out there, and this is what I've done and I believe you've done as well, I had to develop a set of rules. So I know for myself that when my portfolio, I have to contribute money to it, right? So I'll tell you right now, go through this. My portfolio now, very reasonable size. I've covered it. I've got 11 properties uh, on the the show at about 16 doors. If I have to contribute income to support the portfolio, I'm going to focus on paying down debt until that doesn't exist. That's a real big trigger. It's not time to go again for me if it's going to create like a negative uh, gearing scenario. So I don't like that. As soon as the portfolio needs my income, sleep and knife factor becomes uncomfortable. Um, I also wouldn't be comfortable seeing my LVR go above 70%. Like, and even today, my LVR is much lower than that. But again, I wouldn't want to invest more. I would pay down debt in that scenario there because that's what makes me comfortable. I think they're the things that uh, really sit well with me. Um, So they're kind of two for me. Is there anything that sits on your rules in this world? Do you treat it the same or different? Yeah, so very similar. It was funny uh, because the way that the question was like premise prefaced was like the volatility of the current market, which is like maybe interest rates go up, maybe they go down, maybe prices go up, maybe prices go down. Like just the volatility creates that uncertainty. And so in the second half of 2022, I looked at my portfolio and I said, how do I feel about that volatility and to riff off the point that you just mentioned. Oh, we, should, we could do a Dr. Phil episode if we're going to go to feelings. Shall we do this? Like, Grant, <laughs> no, Grant no. how did that make you feel? <laughs> totally. Well, it was a sleep at night factor. It was me going, if I get another one, Charlie, I'm probably going to make different decisions in what I do day to day, which I'm not going to be happy with. And I run a business and I reckon I would make desperate decisions in the business. And if you're an employee, maybe you choose to get a second job just to deal with Completely. That risk. And you see and, it and it's like it wears – you see people age really quickly – Totally. When and, they do that. And because they've made – and a lot of people actually make the decision without realizing and then it's a byproduct of a really bad decision of them going, oh, now I've got to work two jobs or now I've got to make decisions in my business that I shouldn't make or don't want to make. And so I said, I'm just going to pause. And you know what's funny, Charlie? I'm like, what is the problem of me pausing? What is the risk? Really, if I just stopped for one month, three months, six months to reassess, really what's the problem? I'm going to pay down some debt or I'm just going to stack some cash and offsets. You know <laughs> The, the lack of progress, like people need progress in their life and to pause and slow down and intentionally go, do you know what, I'm going to intentionally take longer to achieve my goals. I think r- people really struggle with. I think mentally that's very difficult. And in that period that I paused, which wasn't the whole six months, and, and I'll be transparent, like I am investing again, like going out looking for a new uh, investment property. Yeah, my, fuck yeah, you are. <laughs> but the accumulator, the accumulator. Dude, my LVR. Through that period, went from 68% down to 51.3%. Well, if you you had invested in that time, you actually would have done reasonably well following your strategy. That's the irony, right? It's like it stings a little bit, but it's a long game. You have to play the long game. And that was and that was my feeling. And I remember you and I spoke about this um, uh, quite hard. It's like, well, what if what if you look back and you said, I wish I had have invested? And I said, that's a risk I'm willing to take because what if? I look back and I said, I shouldn't have invested. And that was my sleep at night factor. And so all I did was I paused and then I've just consistently reassessed, reassessed, reassessed. And now I'm like 50 cent LBRs. I need to make that a bit more aggressive. And I've just gone, let's go again. 
Right. Isn't it funny that your sleep at night factor might change the other way? It's totally. like I'm not going hard enough. I'm, I, I'm awake at night because I'm an under-invested. <laughs> well, I was worried that I was going to look and it was going to be like a 49%, 48%. I'm like, oh, hang on. <laughs> i got to get this date working for me. And so that was the trigger for me because I'm like, now I've got so much buffer built into my sleep at night factor that I can go again. And it was, for me, it was all based off LVRs. And obviously my portfolio is cash flow positive, which is always a good thing. Um, and that was it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now let's go again, even in a highly volatile market. Right, which is why this personal situation is so critical. Um, but the funny thing was uh, the second point around like rules was talking to Hazel about this idea of buying a principal place of residency. And it came back to a concept that you and I have talked about personally quite a bit, which was like 20 or 25% of your overall net wealth should not be, uh, sorry, more than 20 or 25% of your net wealth should not be in your We've got to say that's our opinion, right? No, that's why I said you and I, you and I, Shem. <laughs> so when you and I talk about this, and again, you're right, not financial advice, and I'm hoping I'm not bringing this up as it is, one of the ratios that I really look at is going, well, if I want to buy a million-dollar property, I need to have at least $4 million in investment properties in order to actually say that is a viable approach for the place that I live in to make sure that I don't have too much house as, as we talk to. And so that was one of the ratios. A surprisingly good rule, I will say. It's worked for me numerously, the idea in that. Well, and it's it's actually really interesting because it um, for Hazel and I, it's put such strict buffers where it's just like, great, well, you want a $2 million house, Charlie, we get $8 million worth of investment properties. I, I feel like we should explain the rule a little bit here. So uh, for those listening in that haven't heard this concept before, which is likely considering we've never spoken about it before on this podcast. Behind um, closed doors still. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> at one point I was really uh, struck with the idea of having too much house. Now, full transparency is that I've seen uh, family members of mine buy way too much house and then it ends up being the thing that actually holds them back in a big way, not just from investing but life. Yeah. Like they are slaves to their mortgage and it – begs the question, what's the right amount of house? Now, the rule I came up with at the time was I think I started it at about 30% so that your home shouldn't be the one you live in, be more than 30% of your net worth. And the idea being because it just doesn't have compounding working for you in the right way. So if you have a house worth, let's say, a million dollars and you have $3 million worth of investment property, so that's four in total, right? You're well within that range. And then all the assets outside of your home are compounding in a way where you achieve that financial independence, where if you only have assets in your home, you might actually achieve financial independence on paper, but there's no asset producing any cash or ability to sell that into a life you would potentially want to live. Because you have to sell your house to hit financial independence. Now you don't have somewhere to live. So it's not necessarily a way to do that. I hadn't heard anyone else speak about it or even think about it in those terms, but I have noticed it's been particularly helpful for me in stopping me from doing dumb things of just like, well, I'm going to go buy a $3.5 million house right now, which at numerous times I've been close to talking myself into. The interesting thing, like when I extended on the back of this, I've just gone, okay, well, how do I validate this? Because I, I came and I said, well, the better approach, Charlie, is just to make your PPR an investment property. And just go and live where it's going to get better returns as if it was an investment property. And and it's so funny how few people would actually do that. So Yeah, dude, what about being near family, school zones, like all the things that are important for quality of life? So Hazel and I looked and we like looking at our investment portfolio and I was just like, would you want to live in any? And there were some that were fine with living in and I'm like, but it's just so far away from everybody else. I'm like, so the rule 
like the extrapolated uh, approach of the rule for me is like if you have a PPR, you are you're lying to yourself when you're trying to convince yourself that it's an investment grade asset. <laughs> like anyone who buys a house is buying on emotion. You're like, I like the kitchen. I like how it's close to these schools because I want to take my kids to the school. I like all these things. That is an emotional purchase, not an investment purchase. <laughs> I think it's the worst idea to try and make your PPR a good investment. Totally. I think separating the two, like li- live in the PPR you want to live in. And, that, that and so that was the, the biggest value point, which is like, well, if you're trying to dance on the on the line of is it an investment grade, is it an emotional purchase, you're, you're going to disappoint yourself because you just lie to yourself to convince you that it is an investment as opposed to just going, oh, no, I'll just buy a house I like to live in, um, which is why I, I love the one to four rule of going and it's applied to yourself. It doesn't really matter. Make it a one to three, make it a one to ten for like, yeah, it's more the approach of understanding based on the compounding growth that you have in an asset or an, an investment portfolio compared to something that's not designed to create some kind of return or be some kind of investment vehicle as designed to live in. <laughs> I love the mindset of I'm going to build my financial independence outside the PPR. I'm not going to rely on that or count on it in any way, shape or form, just like I'm not going to rely or count on our government to look after me. And if you take that view into it, I think your chances of being more successful and approaching investing in the right way are really powerful. But just bringing this one back down to rules, um, I think it's really important to develop a set of rules for yourself and maybe with a financial planner, someone who is qualified to actually help strategically set that stuff up. Although I'm not really sure if they would do that, but I suspect some could be quite helpful there. In my own case, though, because a lot of this is like feeling based, like if you've got a million dollars in the bank, no one can say that that it feels like you've got enough in reserves or doesn't feel like enough in reserves. Like if I put a million dollars in your bank account right now, Grant, would you be like feeling pretty like conservative and safe? Totally. Yeah. Would Warren Buffett? No. Yeah, he might panic. He's like, where's my billions? Because <laughs> like, well, you had to take out $10 billion to put $1 million back. <laughs> yeah, so like I think self-assessing what makes you comfortable and sleep at night and then putting in a set of rules can, can be the difference because then you don't have to sit there and go, oh, should I pay down debt or should I invest more aggressively? You can go, well, where am I at? If my rules are in place, then maybe that can provide the guidance where you will sleep well at night and your own personal circumstances. And and to that point, uh, reassessing your rules as you go, right? So, for example, Hazel- I did. Yeah, we don't have kids, but you've got your Jack, right? And so for us, like we can move around and do all the fun rent vesting things versus imagine if I've got three kids going to a certain school, like maybe the the- the concept of renting and moving every year or two years is just the worst thing on the face of the planet for me. I have so, something on this. Renting in high demand school zones is actually harder. It's crazy. I've tried to live in those places and they're not. Rose Bay in uh, Sydney, Charlie, there's nothing to rent. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but like, and so the point that I'm saying is that it will become this iteration. It will become, this, even though you set the rules now based on the current season of the environment that you see, uh, for properties that you want to invest in, plus your own personal environment of kids and schools and all those kind of, maybe even work, maybe even businesses come into it, right? Like what is your rule around your business? And so I see my business as volatile if it doesn't have consistent earnings for three to six months on a regular income, like on a regular base. Maybe that's the same for your work or something like that, right? So having that and reevaluating consistently, I think it's going to be the best thing in order to answer the question of like, do you pay down debt? Or do you continue to invest more aggressively? 
And I'd like to throw another layer on this as well. Ever. I think life stage matters a lot here. So um, if you're someone like we're in our 30s and we're very much attacking this from the idea of someone who's in their 30s, like a 70% LVR for someone in their 30s isn't insanity in my view. It's recoverable. Um, yeah, but if you're in your 90s, probably say is. That's fair. So no. I think age and what season of life you're going into could play a really big role into that as well. Like maybe you've got aspirations to stop doing what you have doing for work right now and start a business. Mm. Or maybe you've got kids coming into this uh, world and being more conservative is more apparent, right, or reasonable for you. So those types of factors come into this as well for sure. Definitely. So hopefully this answers the question. Do you reckon we hit it? Kind of. <laughs> What do you reckon's missed? <laughs> what a response. It's coy, right? It's coy. No, I think <laughs> I, at the very least I hope it's a, it gets someone to en- understand the perspective. As someone who's been, in my opinion, too conservative, right, but I'm still happy I did that. It was a very rewarding process for me and I can in hindsight reflect on what was going on for me and it will perhaps shed some light into the thinking that could be helpful for someone else. So the outcome yeah. being here is like, yes, I, I – wish I had invested a little bit more rather than paying debt down. It doesn't put me in a bad position either way, and I've learned a lot from that that's made me a better investor today. But the ultimate conclusion is is having a great set of rules that support you and what you're capable of and ultimately having it in what my view is great sleep at night factor. Yeah, and I like the fact of constantly asking yourself. Yeah, updating it, absolutely. Just constantly repeating going, what should I do? How should I approach it, et cetera? Awesome. I'm going to wrap it up, John. Let's do it. Let's do it. Just wanted to say thank you very much for everyone and listening. If you did want to jump onto the newsletter when Charlie decides to write them and send them out, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Charlie, prompt. Ping, ping. Write the emails. Got it. Uh, Just want to say thank you and we'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.